Let us join in prayer with our prayer of illumination. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, open our ears that we may hear. Voices of truth thou sendeth clear. And while the wave notes fall on our ears, everything false will disappear. Silently now we wait for thee, ready our God, thy will to see. Open our ears and let us hear, Spirit divine. We pray, Lord, that it may be. Amen. Our reading today from the Old Testament is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 62, verses 1 through 5. Isaiah Chapter 62, verses 1 through 5. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a burning torch. The nation shall see your vindication and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called My delight is in her, and your land married, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your builder marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. From uh, rejoicing bridegroom in the book of Isaiah to the New Testament story of a wedding feast and the first miracle of Jesus that we find in the second chapter of John, verses 1 through 11. So listen now for the word of God. To the church. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the Steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The steward called the bridegroom 
and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk, but you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So a little over 25 years ago, the Presbyterian Outlook, which is one of our denominational um, publications that's been around for a long time, they published a reflection on this text in John 2 that was written by a thoughtful and humorous pastor by the name of David Steele. Steele focused his remarks really on Mary and noted that Mary who has come you know, throughout the centuries to be lifted up and revered in very lofty terms like holy mother and God-bearer throughout the church, that Mary's almost always depicted in sacred art as a tranquil and reverent and thoughtful figure. She is always beautiful, Steele said, but then he added, she seldom looks as though she's had much fun. <laughs> And he's kind of right. I mean, if you look at the old art of the church, very few, if any, of those old paintings show or suggest that Mary was the life of the party. But that's exactly what she was here in this story. Not only does she engineer her son's first public miracle, she saves a wedding feast that was about to fizzle out. She takes a dying party and helps to transform it into a celebration that we're still talking about 2,000 years later. If we consider the gospel story as a whole, it really shouldn't surprise us all that much that the first of Jesus' signs of power took place at a party. In Matthew 22, Jesus says explicitly, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. The kingdom of heaven is like a wedding feast. And in those days, the wedding feast was the ultimate party. Even today, cultures around the globe, I would say especially cultures perhaps in the Middle East, reserve their most exuberant and joyful celebrations for happy couples on their wedding days. People around here certainly know how to bring the joy on those occasions, too. I expect if the walls of Alhambra Hall could talk about wedding feasts and banquets, they would have a few things to say. But the truth is that Jesus was never apologetic about the joys of eating and drinking and celebrating with all kinds of people simply because joy and love were things that were always of utmost importance to him. Everything I taught you, Jesus says, everything I've said to you, I have said for a reason. I have said it to you so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be complete. Jesus loves parties because Jesus loves joy. And when the people of God are filled with joy, Jesus cannot help but join the celebration. From this perspective, the contributions of Mary to this particular party take on a new kind of significance. Hey, son, she says, come here. I don't know if you've noticed, but they have no 
wine. Why don't we see if we can do something about that, was the implicit message. And in this moment, Mary reminds me of the veteran music director who was suffering through yet another sermon on temperance and the evils of alcohol from the aging pastor of her church. If I'd had all the beer in the world the pastor preached, I'd take it and I'd throw it in the river. And then with more urgency, he said, and if I had all the wine in the world, I would take it and throw it in the river. And finally, elevating to a near fever pitch, he bellowed, and if I had all the whiskey in the world, I'd take it and I'd throw it into the river. And when the pastor finally sat down, clearly very satisfied with himself, the music director didn't miss a beat. She stood up in front of the choir, turned to the congregation and said, let us sing now together the hymn, Shall We Gather at the River? (laughs) That is a very old joke, but a very good one too. But in all seriousness, what Mary modeled for the world at that joyful and eventful wedding feast was something that David Steele called Cana Grace. It was something that Steele said he had always seen in his own mother. She had a knack for parties, he said. And it wasn't just about the menu or the venue or the decor, all of which she did with amazing skill. It was really about a feeling, an ambiance. According to Steele, his mother had a special gift for making people feel welcome, for creating a warm and friendly atmosphere that put people at ease, brought them together, and made joy really possible. I think we experienced a good dose of Cana Grace recently here in our congregation. On January 9th, we threw up a tent out in the parking lot. We set up some tables in the fellowship hall, and we threw open the doors for our annual oyster roast and chili cook-off. The food was great. The air was crisp. The fellowship was warm. And as I worked to shuck oysters as fast as I could, basketful after basketful of steaming oysters just kept coming as if they would never run out. Just as it was in jar after jar of the finest wine in Cana, the abundance of God's good creation was in full view there in our parking lot. And if you came to that event and you were like me, then you left that event healthier and happier than when you arrived, spiritually fed, physically full, emotionally lifted up and affirmed. It was Cana grace at its best, the kind of celebration that makes Jesus smile and the kind of godly party that we as the church are called to throw. But you know and I know that not every party pleases God. There are too many parties in this world that degrade and dehumanize people. Too many parties that exclude people and make them feel like they don't belong. Too many parties that rely on debauchery and promote sin. These parties are not infused with Cana grace, and Christ does not and cannot celebrate these kinds of parties. At that wedding feast in Matthew 22, the one that was supposed to represent the kingdom of heaven, things actually didn't start out all that well. The table was set, 
The doors were opened, but no one was there. The master sent his servants out to everyone who had received an invitation. He said, gather them in and give them this message. Tell those who have been invited, look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But still no one came. The people simply had things that They would rather do, it seemed. They were worried about their own stuff. Scripture tells us this. They were worried about their businesses. They were worried about their farms. They were worried about taking care of their own thing. And the king was not amused. His plans were being frustrated. He wanted to throw a joyful, memorable, holy party. But the in crowd, the town around him, was not cooperating. So he made a bold decision. He gathered his servants again. The wedding's ready, he said. But those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main streets and invite everyone you find. Fill this hall. And Jesus made it very clear about who should fill the hall. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, Jesus said, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors This is not a quid pro quo kind of party. This is not a you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours kind of party. When you give a banquet, Jesus said, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Invite the outcasts, Jesus said. Invite the people who are not normally invited to the party. And if you do, you will be blessed. And the reason you will be blessed is not because they will repay you. Jesus said, you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. They can never repay you. A party that is blessed by Cana grace is a party where everyone is welcome, a celebration in which everyone is affirmed as the royal diadem of Isaiah, precious in God's sight, a party whose door is open to anyone and everyone who wishes to come. When John Carlson started out as a young Lutheran minister in Minnesota, he did not think too highly of the high school prom. He just didn't think it was the kind of party that Jesus would have liked. In his view, it was too exclusive, too much about the insiders, too much about the beautiful people and the favored ones. John knew that the prom was really good at making people feel less than, that the system was almost perfectly designed to make the kids who didn't get dates or maybe couldn't afford to go feel like losers. So John decided that he would plan his own party. He decided to invite all the kids who were excluded from the regular prom, the kids who didn't have dates, the kids who would have otherwise suffered through that night knowing that there was a party going on and they were not invited. And he called his party the reject prom. It would be held on the same night as the senior prom, and he would set out to make the reject prom so awesome that the real prom would pale in comparison. The first year 
There were a few people there. It was a pretty good crowd, given that it was something new and a little bit off. The next year, there were more. The following year, the press got a hold of it, and they did a live television feed from the reject prom. Timex Corporation saw the television feed and decided that they would give a watch to every kid who attended. Other companies followed suit, and pretty soon these kids who were going to the reject prom were being showered with all of these amazing gifts. And then what do you think happened? All the kids who had invitations to the regular prom started turning down those invitations. The reject prom had become the hottest ticket in town simply because it was a party blessed and fueled by Cana grace. This, my friends, is the church that Jesus Christ came to create, a gathering of joy and celebration, a place where the abundance of God is freely poured out, a place where people are filled and lifted and encouraged to be their best selves, and a place where everyone is welcome, where everyone is deemed worthy, where anyone who will may come. We are the reject prom of the world in the church full of grace and truth and joy. And if we do it right, then the party we throw will make the party of the world pale in comparison. The last line of David Steele's article sums it up well. Blessed is the church, he said, that has a real tenor or plumber. (laughs) But doubly blessed is the congregation that knows Cana grace. May we always be that kind of congregation, and may we continue to throw those kinds of parties. Amen.